Every month, we offer exciting new webinars for our community. Topics include how to use retirement accounts to buy real estate overseas, how to get a second passport in Latin America, why you should sell your stock portfolio and move your money offshore, how to buy beachfront rental properties in Brazil for less than $100,000, or apartments in Paraguay for less than $60,000. If you want to join us for free for these presentations with live Q&A, insider secrets, and exclusive opportunities with my professional network of experts, then go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for free upcoming presentations. expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. We all dream of seeing the world, but the realities of living somewhere outside your place of birth can be daunting to say the least. Welcome to the Expat Money Show, helping you make the most out of your overseas career through conversations with successful expats on investing, entrepreneurship, self-improvement, and continual education, all while sharpening your financial acumen. Now, please welcome your host with over 20 years of overseas experience, Mikkel Thorup. Quick reminder before we get going today, if you guys have kids ages 8 to 19 and you have been worried about what you're going to do for education when you become an expat or a digital nomad, well, we have the solution. It's at expatschool.io. We have created an online high school for ages 8 to 19. We actually have a junior program, a middle school, and a high school. This is done in conjunction with my very good friend, Michael Strong. He was a guest on episode 115 of the podcast, and we became fast friends, and I've been working on this ever since. I am super passionate about this project. It is unbelievable, and we're going to be tackling a lot of the problems that are out there for expat and international families. So go to expatschool.io. You're going to be able to sign up free for our newsletter to stay abreast of what is happening. And if you have kids ages 8 to 19, then fill in the form. Let's sit down, have a call, discuss if it makes sense for your family. And if it does, we will invite your child to partake in the program. We are doing accredited and non-accredited programs. There is so much to be said on this. The full name of the program is Expat International School of Freedom and Entrepreneurship. So a big focus on freedom, a big focus on entrepreneurial ventures. And I'm just so excited about this. So, so excited. So go to expatschool.io and that's it. Let's jump into today's interview. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest has traveled to more than 100 countries on six continents. His love of travel started in his youth when he visited many of the great national parks in the United States. He then took his first major international trips to Europe, South America, and Asia in 2011. From there, he caught the travel bug and began taking four international trips per year. Awesome. In 2020, he became the host of the travel TV show called The Layover Experience. Please welcome to the show, Michael Wieda. Michael, how are you? Doing well, Mikhail. Thank you. Thank you very much for being here. Why don't you take a minute and kind of walk us through your backstory a little bit more? I mean, I went over it in about four seconds, but I want to dig into some of these types of things, the love of travel and where it all started. I want to hear it all. Yeah, you know what's funny is my parents, regardless of how hard they worked or how much money they had, they always made it a point to take us on a trip, even if it was camping. And as time went on, the trips got better, but they always ended up taking us somewhere. And so I always looked forward to going away. 
And when I started traveling internationally, it just kind of opened my mind in a completely different way. Just, you know, being able to touch history literally up close and see and feel the buildings that we've read about and seen pictures about. And I just started, you know, traveling every year. It became one or two trips a year, then four trips a year. And I created a unique way, a unique style of traveling, which caused me to write the book. And since I wrote the book, I've been going into off the beaten path <laughs> more so since then. And I kind of have started to enjoy the uh, countries that I've never even heard of and can barely pronounce more so than a typical Paris or London, because there's things there that I'd never even heard about before. Or, you know, as I like to say, they were affected by the major powers that we read about in history but you really get to see how when you, you know, meet the people and try the food and put a finger on the pulse of the culture, essentially. Well, the differences in perspective on how people are looking at the world, I think is definitely one of my favorite parts of travel. I mean, exactly like you said, okay, yeah, you can go to London, you can go to Frankfurt, you can go to Paris, but you've probably seen them on TV and movies and read books about them. You probably have a pretty good understanding of what things are like. I mean, if nothing else, through some type of a media. But if you're going to parts of Africa or Central Asia or, I mean, many, many parts of the world, it's like you have nothing to base any of your experiences on. So it is really completely new. A hundred percent. Yes. And it's amazing to me how warm everybody is everywhere across the world. I mean, it's, it's people are so welcoming. They want you to try their food. They want you to experience what's going on. And that's probably become one of more, the more favorite parts of traveling for me recently. Well, I remember hearing about or watching on the mainstream media, you know, the access of evil. They're just trying to blanket entire countries, entire regions of the population as evil. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. But people were buying it and gobbling it up. Like, I mean, I've been to Iran, I've been to North Korea, and there's legitimate people out there who just think like the whole country, like everybody there is a bad person. I'm like, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Yes, absolutely. There's some pretty bad governments out there who do some pretty atrocious things. But I mean, if we want to say that, then Let's look at our own backyard. Let's look at what our countries have done to other nations you know, before we start throwing stones. Right. And, and just because the governments are doing things doesn't mean the people are behind it or a part of it. And that's where a lot of people, I think, have the disconnect. Exactly. So when you started traveling when you were younger, were those trips international ones with your family or were they just the camping trips or you know, visiting the neighboring state? It was camping trips, visiting the neighboring state. And then eventually we started flying to the East Coast. The trips got a little bigger and better, but never outside of the country with the family. So what was the initial spark to go, all right, I know the States, I've, I've traveled through here. Now I want to go somewhere new, something completely different. You know, what's funny is I got invited on a trip to Europe. A friend of mine said, hey, you want to, I'm putting together this trip to Europe to see four different countries. And he told me which ones. It was Greece, Italy, Spain, and the Netherlands. And I thought, I'm in because I've never really been as interested in the typical Paris or London. So I thought that's a perfect trip for me. And I went and the next year he invited me to South America. And it was something that I just saw it as beyond my scope to be able to put together a trip like this. Right. And a few years later, about 20 of my friends ended up going to Vietnam and that's when it just hit me. I mean, I really, really love the trips to Europe and South America. It's not that I didn't love them, but when I got to Vietnam, I was just, my mind was blown. And I thought, 
I've got to make this happen more often. And that's when I started looking into booking the trips myself. And it was all over after that. Like you couldn't stop me. (laughs) Well, I understand Europe, but I mean, cultural differences in South America are often not that different because it's still based on Western society, Western civilization. But when you start looking at, you know, Southeast Asia or Vietnam or Thailand or something like that, the influence from Western civilization is so minuscule compared to the others that it really is completely, completely different. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it it is. There's a little bit of similarities in South America, but over in Asia, it's it's a culture shock for sure, but it's a good one. So earlier you mentioned that you have a unique style of travel. Let's jump into that. Let's break that down a little bit. So I have a uh, very fast paced style of travel and I do it very cheaply. And, you know, I'll start with my concept of using layovers as a tool. People tend to try and avoid layovers as much as possible because they hate sitting around in the airport. I maximize my layovers because I see it as an opportunity to see a different city or a different country for free. So if, I've got a two hour layover. I can't leave the airport, obviously. But if I've got a five or six hour layover, or sometimes I've had 24 hour layovers, you know, I'll go out and take a tour. I will go out and sit in a pub or I will go spend the night and and, and see what's going on, you know, in, in a particular area. And people will tell me, oh, well, that doesn't count. It doesn't count. And I'm like, you know, I don't see it as a time limit as far as seeing a city, but I see it kind of like wine tasting. You take a little sip of the city. If you really like it, you can come back. I've been on a 12-hour layover somewhere and went around the city and kind of went, oh, you know what? I think I'm good. And then there's some places like Istanbul that I've been to probably seven or eight times now. I can't get enough of that city. And the first time was on a layover. And it, it was about 12 hours of me just being bombarded by the blend of culture and different types of food there. So Using layovers is definitely one of the unique styles that people have uh, touted me for. And that keeps the cost of the trip down as far as seeing a different spot. So that's number one. So do you then purposely structure things so that you get layovers? And if you do, then you get them for longer periods of time? Or do you just let them happen? And when they're there, then you take advantage of them? A little bit of both. So if it depends on what my time frame is, if I'm short on time to meet somebody, if there's nothing, there's no time schedule that I have to worry about. I'll look at the different options. And if one has a two hour layover in a city that I've never been in, and there's an option a little bit further down the list for eight or nine hours, I'll go down the list and choose that one. And what's funny is typically those flights are end up being cheaper because a lot of people try and avoid those layovers, right? And then I've also created something what I call the faux layover. And that's if you're trying to get somewhere in a particular country, uh, if you go to one of the major hubs, I mean, this works in the US too. If you go to one of the major hubs, say in Europe, you know, London, Paris, Barcelona, and you can get a flight from there once you've gotten there from the state. So you can get a flight from there for less than a hundred bucks. I've saved money. You know, I've seen flights to a location that I've wanted to go in the past for a thousand dollars. And I was able to create a fake layover where I ended up paying less than 200 and I got to see another city on the way in. So it's a really great way to save money when you're uh, trying to get out of the country and also see more spots. Okay. That makes a lot of sense because what I normally do is I, I am those people that you mentioned that do the shortest layover possible or direct flights. Like for me, I've always like, I'm not having this take me 16 hours when I can do it in six hours. And I try to just get there as fast as possible because I want to unpack my bags and I don't want to be bothered by all of this. But I see the advantages of what you're talking about. Yeah, you have to have a stomach for it. And the number one question I get is, aren't you afraid of missing your flight? And no, I've never missed a flight on a layover. 
And it's possible. I mean, it, it can happen, but you know, it's, it's all about planning your trip to and from the city center and making sure to get back in plenty of time. And you can have a lot of fun doing that. I've had some of my better adventures on a layover than I have in the actual destinations in some cases. So do you actually like the time in the aircraft or, or enjoy the actual travel part? I've always found myself, I like the destination part, the, the physical act of moving through an airplane or doing a road trip or something like that. I don't fear flying or anything ridiculous like that, but I mean, it's not my favorite part of it. I just want to get through this, get through immigration, get to my place, unpack, and then I want to like walk the city or, you know, start to explore. I'm, I'm the same way. I can't stand the airplane, man. I mean, it's like you can only watch so many movies. And I've tried to limit my flights to 13 or 14 hours or less. Those 15 or 16 hour flights, I start going stir crazy the last two hours. So I'm with you. I, I want to get there. I, I don't mind taking the subways and doing stuff like that. But the long plane rides are what kill me. Well, when I lived in the Middle East, we used to have to do those long plane trips like all the time because it was well, 14 hours to the States, 14 hours to Toronto. I went down to Brazil a couple of times, which was about 15 and a half hours. Luckily, I was traveling in business class, so I could put my feet up, makes a flat bed and I could get some sleep. But even then, you just feel like awful afterwards. It just feels so yuck. I just want to like get all of this done. That's also why a lot of these days, I really just live in what I would call hubs. Like I'm in Panama City right now and we're going to Aruba or we just, we just did Aruba. And it's so close. It's like two hours from here. But if I were to do that from the Middle East, then I mean, that would have been an all day affair. Or even if I were to do that from Toronto, that would be probably, well, there'd be no direct flights, but it'd probably be like six, seven hours with a layover. It's like, I don't know. I'd rather get the travel part done so I can do the travel part, you know, the part of the travel that I like. (laughs) That makes sense. It absolutely (laughs) does. So what other things make your your style of travel very unique? Because you did mention that you like to go really fast. So are these fast trips like long weekends or you mean you hit a city, you're there for a few hours, then you're on the next city, the next city, the next city. Unpack this a little bit for us. Okay, great. There's two aspects to that. And the tag. So my book's name is International Travel Secrets, but the, the, the subtitle is Take Shorter Trips More Often for Less. And the reason for that is, is that my goal is to get more people traveling. That's really what it is. And a lot of people think that you have to take a two or three week trip through Europe and spend 15 grand and spend two weeks in one city. And yes, you can do that. And there's nothing against that. I don't, I'm not one of those people that say there's a wrong or or right way to travel. But what I want to show people is that you can go somewhere for five days and check it out. You can go somewhere for two or three days. I have something in the book called the two or three day stay. And it's for someone who wants to kind of travel around several countries and they don't have as much time. In a two day stay, what I do is I take a a tour of some sort, usually a longer one that gives me the lay of the land. And on the second day, what I'll do is, is just hang out at the cafes and go to the areas that I really enjoyed from the tour and then jump on a plane the next day. Now that's a little crazy. A lot of my friends that travel with me say, oh, I don't know. And then they do it and they love it, right? So I'm not saying that I don't stay in other places longer. I absolutely do. But if I've got to get home and I'm like, you know what? I want to throw in an extra stop. That's how I'll do it. Okay. So with these types of tours, are you booking you know, from a local tour company? You do a lot of research in advance and pick the exact one that you like? Or are you using larger conglomerate companies where you know what to expect from them and they do different tours in different countries, but it's always the same kind of format. 
So I do a blend of both. When I do these quick trips, I use the larger companies. I usually use TripAdvisor, which is a, they own Viator. And all those tours are reviewed by travelers. So you get kind of a good gist of how it's going to go down. So on a shorter trip, when I don't have time to mess around, I'll use one of the bigger providers. But if I go and stay somewhere for a week or a month, if I end up taking that longer trip, I'll get to know some of the locals and usually get a better experience by booking there and also getting it at a cheaper price as well. Okay. Because I've tried all of the above, every type of tour that is out there. I don't necessarily know that I have a a favorite way of doing it. Actually, in a lot of instances, I try not to do tours. I try to figure things out on my own or these days with kids and my wife and everything like that, we're renting a car and then trying to piece things together. But that's not something I'd want to be doing in a two or three day stopover or, or even shorter layover. So I understand the advantages of having someone take care of everything. You just kind of show up, go on the trip and you get to relax. Absolutely. Yeah. We even had a guy pick us up. We, we had a six hour layover in uh, Beijing and we had, a, we had a guy pick us up at the airport, take us to the Great Wall. We spent several hours at the Great Wall and came back to the airport. That was it. And it was like, okay, well, let's go see the Great Wall. <laughs> I cannot imagine doing Beijing in six hours. I mean, I've been to Beijing many, many, many times and sometimes for like a week or two weeks at a time just to see Beijing, just to go there and eat and see museums and historical ruins and the Great Wall of China and all of these types of things. My goodness, in six hours, Beijing. <laughs> Well, I've been to Beijing several times and I've seen the city. I totally agree with you. When I flew in with my friend, he had been and I'm like, so do you want to go hang in the city or you want to go see the Great Wall? He's like, let's go do the Great Wall. I've never done it. And that's how we did it. Worked out really well. So what are some of the other countries where you've put these types of ideas into place? This concept of like really, really short layovers and you probably wouldn't have had a chance to see these locations otherwise. Oh, gosh, let me see here. Uh, I've been to some of the stands that way. Uh, I saw Kyrgyzstan on a 24-hour layover. I saw Kazakhstan on a, on a 24-hour layover. Let's see, several of the uh, Eastern European countries I've done that with. Let's see here. I believe we did Warsaw in 36 hours, if I'm right. And so we, it gave us a little extra time to see some stuff. But all over the world, I've done it in Asia, South America, I've done it in the Caribbean. I had a layover in Curacao on the way to Aruba. Ended up liking Curacao better than Aruba. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we had a full day there. And I thought, you know what? I want to come back here. I wasn't as big of a fan of Aruba as I was of uh, Curacao. So stuff like that kind of pops up when you jump in on a layover. Do you sleep on your layovers? I can't, I can't imagine doing some of these trips. Like I'm like Warsaw in 36 hours. Like, really? Oh, my God. Yeah. You know, one of the more recent ones, uh, we had a layover in Rome. And I'd been several times. My friend hadn't. And I can't remember where we're going after, but we landed at night, got to our hotel at about 8 p.m., went and had dinner and walked the streets until two in the morning because we were still on a different time zone. And we saw Trevi Fountain. We saw some of the the, the, uh, bigger landmarks in Rome. Then we went and slept for probably six hours just because we weren't on that time zone yet. And we went and saw the Vatican and it was a expedited one. He goes, I just want to see this. So we left the tour early because we had to go to the airport, but we walked through, saw a couple things, saw the Sistine Chapel, and then we got on a plane and left. So it was like we could have sat in the airport or we <laughs> we could have gone and seen the Sistine Chapel. I know it's better to spend more time there. I've done that tour many times, but if you can at least get a glimpse on the way in, do it. Well, and life is short. So, I mean, 
make the most of it. If you're there, then absolutely go for it. I guess it's the structuring of it that I'm trying to get my head around where you're purposefully taking extra time in these places. Because I don't think, I can't think of a lot of places that I go to where I have sat around the airport for six hours or something like that. Maybe a couple of times when I came back from when I was living in Australia and I was coming back, those were some pretty long journeys. And I think I stopped in Los Angeles or something like that for six hours or Vancouver or something like that for six hours. I can't even remember. But most of the places that I think I go to, it's always like a direct flight or I'm changing, but it's, you know, I have two hours, which is the opposite end, which is not even enough time to get to my next aircraft and get checked in. And if you have to move over your bags, like if you're coming through the United States, you have to collect your bags, go through immigration. Nightmare. That's a whole other conversation, but that's a nightmare. I hate traveling through the States. So you're right. If it's a bigger destination, there's not as many, you're more likely to get a direct flight. Usually most of these layovers come when we're trying to go to, you know, somewhere in Africa or one of the stands of like on the way to Tajikistan or Uzbekistan, we have some crazy layovers because there's just not a lot of flights that go to those places. Or if you go somewhere in South America, like, you know, we went to Bolivia recently. That's not one of the top countries that a lot of people visit. So it's a little bit more difficult to get there. And that's where you're going to see a lot more of these long layovers. And there's some, like if you, most cities actually have them if you go further down the list, but th- th- some of these countries, there's no choice. If you want to see the country, you're sitting somewhere else for 12 to 24 hours before you can head out. Okay. And you mentioned that, you know, you went with your friend on this trip, you went with your friend on that trip. Do you always travel? Do you have like a a travel group or a travel buddy you like to go with? Yeah. So since I take four trips a year, I rotate through my friends as they get vacation from work. And if nobody has vacation at the time I want to take a trip, I just go off on my own. I usually end up taking about one solo trip a year is how it ends up working out. Lately, it's been more solo for me simply just because people don't want to mess with the whole COVID restrictions. And, um, you know, a lot lot of my friends have gotten promotions and they need to kind of settle in in their new promotions until they can start traveling again. So I'm not going to stop (laughs) while they kind of season themselves in those jobs. Yeah, I hear you. So let's dig into the COVID aspect a little bit. What has your experience been? Have you been able to travel over the last two years? Yes, absolutely. It's not as hard as people think. There's some aspects that are pain. I did miss a flight recently out of Suriname in South America a few weeks ago. Other than that, though, I'll tell you what happened on that one. But really, there's some countries that are completely closed. There's countries that will let you in if you have the vaccine and a COVID test. There's some that will forgive the COVID test if you have the vaccine. And there's some that have no restrictions whatsoever. You know, there's a couple in Central America. The Balkans are are relatively unrestricted where you don't even need to show them anything. But I'll tell you this, for people who live in the U.S., like, oh, I got to get that COVID test before I come back. Other countries have made it really easy to where there's a a lot of countries have COVID tests in the airport where it takes 20 minutes and $20. Like their COVID tests are so much cheaper. And you get get your results. You go check in for your flight. You go. You obviously want to go a little bit earlier to take care of it. And if there's not one at the airport, a lot of hotels offer it, or there's a lot of places, if you Google it, there's tons of places offering it. So it is relatively easy. It is an extra step that you got to take, but I haven't found it restrictive. It, it wasn't, my experience wasn't so bad that I thought I'm going to wait till this dies down before I do it again. It was, it was really, really easy. Well, I know so many people who have become hermits. They basically put their travel life on hold for two years. And I'm like, no, oh, I mean, two years is a long time. I'm used to doing four, five, six trips a year as well. I'm not 
stopping from this. This is my life. Like, I, this is who I am. I'm not going to give this up because of some virus. I mean, right there with you. And people were like, well, aren't you scared of getting it? I'm like, I live near Los Angeles. I'm more likely to get it here than I would be in some of the places I was going. <laughs> well, and then I laugh when, you know, when this all started coming out and then they started doing these emergency flights and repatriating people back to the US and Canada and getting on the last flights out. And it's like, why do you think it's going to be more safe there than where you are today? And if you look at any of the numbers, you probably should have stayed put where they were. I had one friend who was in, I think, in Uruguay or something like that, Uruguay or Paraguay. And they took an emergency last minute flight back to the States. And then they got trapped there. And it's like, wow, good work. I mean, you could have been on the road. You could have been enjoying beautiful South American country and nice beef and amazing wine and beautiful women for you know, that whole time. Exactly. For me, the, it's obvious, you know, what to, which way to go, but I mean. Well, because a lot of people ask me, they say, well, aren't you afraid if you get a positive result when you're in the other country? And I said, no, I'm kind of hoping for it actually because <laughs> I'm here for another two weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So then on the same vein of thought, when you're planning your trips these days, are you just looking for the countries that are open or how do you, you know, plan your destinations or where you want to travel? So I'm trying to see as many countries as possible. So my number one thing is I make sure when I travel that there's at least one new destination that I haven't been to yet on the list. And now you added an interesting piece. It's, is it open for travel? And have I been there? Those are my two criteria essentially. And if I end up stopping in another country that I've been to before, I have no problem with that. But there has to be one new location, at least every time I travel. Yeah. And so there's parts of the world that I'm still trying to get more exposure to. And one of them is Africa. The other one is Central Asia. And so uh, it's funny. <laughs> I use Google Flights, which I know a lot of people use all these other uh, tools, but Google Flights has a feature where if you leave the destination blank and you click on the map, you can zoom out and it gives you a price for the flights to different cities. So sometimes I'll use that tool to choose a location based on the cheapest flight. So it's like, okay, here I haven't been to this country yet. It's one of the cheaper flights. Let me see when it is. And then I do the research. Is it open for, you know, is it open with everything that's going on with COVID? And uh, I'll plan it that way. And I still have, uh, you know, I'm almost done with South America. I'm pretty much done with Southeast Asia to every country except for Bhutan. And then I just need to throw in a couple more stands and then just get more of Africa. I think I've been to seven or eight countries in Africa, but there's a lot, there's a lot of countries there. Yeah, there's something like 52 or 53 countries in Africa. It's like a solid chunk of the world. Yeah, right. And then a lot of the, the South Pacific I haven't really touched. I've been to Fiji and I've been to New Zealand and Australia, but I haven't been to any, you know, Vanuatu or you know, any of the countries I think that a lot of your clients are, are going to live in for tax advantages, right? <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny yeah. this. <laughs> well, see, and that's an interesting point. So, I mean, I've traveled extensively through the South Pacific, but I lived in New Zealand for a year and I lived in Australia for three years. So I used to do, yeah, four trips a year, five trips a year, but they were five-hour flights, four-hour flights, six-hour flights. And I would just keep going and visiting all of the different little island nations while I was down there. And so that is so easy to do when you have that, that base. 
that's what I like to do. If I had to keep going back to the States or Canada every time, oh my God, I'd be so tired from the flying. <laughs> I know. I hear that. I hear that. Well, and I'll tell you this too. I, I broke the barrier of actually living in another country. Now, granted, it was for a short period of time because I wanted to get my feet wet. But for the people that listen to you that are like, oh, I can never do that. Go live in another country. How would I set that up? You don't have to sell your house, sell all your possessions, and then move over there and jump in with both feet. You can try it out. My first trip after the whole COVID chaos was to Macedonia because it was one of the few countries that was open. And I went there and I got myself an apartment, left in May, and I came back in July. And I got an apartment on the lake. I took a swim in the lake every day. I was writing my next book you know, and just kind of hung out there and saw what it was like to be by myself for that amount of time. First off, that was one thing I was concerned about. And also to see, can I hang for a long period of time in one spot being away from home? And I thought I can do this. So for those people listening that want to really just try it out, you don't have to make the commitment, go check it out, go get an apartment, go get a really good Airbnb somewhere that looks comfortable and it's close to everything. Cause you, you know, so you don't have to get a car and see how it is. It was one of the better experiences of my life. I had a blast. Well, I think that one of the greatest things about traveling is really getting a feel for a place where you know it intuitively. Like they say, what is it? You know, when you move into a new home, it takes you a certain amount of days before you know where the light switch is. Well, it's the same type of thing when you move to a new city. It takes you a certain amount of time to really feel comfortable. Where's the bakery? Where's the pub? Where's the grocery store? You know, not just where is, but like, where is the best one? Where is your favorite one? What is the things that they do exceptionally well? Where do you get the good deals? Where do you get the exotic ingredients or you know, learn all the little small nuances of a place? That's why when I go to a place, I do like to stay for longer periods of time. Like when I went to Colombia the first time, I was there for two months in Colombia. We just went back again. We were there for three weeks. I've been to Morocco 10 times. The first time was for two months. Been to, well, just so many countries for weeks and weeks and on on end or months and months and months on end and in some countries years and years and years on end. So I think the longer you stay in a country, the better you get to know it, but the more that it really affects who you are and updates how you view the world and understand this culture and their history and the people's perspective on life. I agree a hundred percent. And it just amazes me. It's funny how when you stay in a place, you know the people right and while the cultures are different it kind of really boils down it really shows me how the same everyone is you know what i mean there, there's different nuances and with the food or or with you know sometimes there's a barrier that you have to break down before that they warm up and other people are warm as soon as you walk into their home right but at the end of the day you know the people really make up those stops and have made a lot of our uh, trips as, as amazing as they are, not just the history, not just the food, it's the people that we get to meet and hang out with that make that difference. That's amazing. We'll just take a quick break. So in episode 137 of the podcast, I interviewed Marco Woodser to talk about blockchain and the future of the internet. This was an amazing interview and I got so much great feedback. What a lot of people don't know is that Marco actually runs a paid newsletter where he talks about all of the projects that he's investing his own money in. He has a huge following of people and his track record is phenomenal. I want you guys to go and take a look. All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto. Follow along with the professionals. Don't try to do this your own. If you're already trading crypto, then get the best analysis and information out there 
All you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash crypto and make sure to check out our interview with Marco Wutzer. Okay, that's it. Let's get back into today's interview. So besides your two criteria of is the country open and have you been there before? Are there certain things that you're looking at when going to a destination or are you really just like, I don't care, I'm going, I want to see every country in the world. If it's open and I haven't been there, then let's go. You know, it's it's a little bit of both. Yes, if there's a few countries I haven't been to yet, I'll look to see, are there temples? Are there, is there something of historical importance? I want to go see something when I go to that country. And I'll also look to see where can I stay? Like when I stayed in Azerbaijan, I thought, oh, cool. You know, I've never been here. I haven't heard much about this country. It's on the Caspian Sea, which I think is great. And um, I, I pulled up the city and saw that there was an ancient walled city that we could stay in. And there were shops that had been shops continuously for 2000 years. And that's the type of place I want to stay. I want to go into a place where I'm sitting in the walled city, having, you know, dinner or, or lunch or something, looking at the Caspian Sea, seeing this, you know, 1500 year old wall around the place that I'm staying and just kind of walking through the shops and seeing the different things they have to offer. So I prefer that over another uh, spot, basically, you know. Yeah, I understand that completely. I mean, my goal is to visit every country in the world as well. I've had this goal for, I don't know, over 20 years. I've been actively working on the goal for 21 years, soon to be 22 years. However, and and maybe you agree or don't agree, but for me, it's become increasingly more difficult to get to new countries, not because I don't want to or not because there's not interesting things. But I mean, once you start to bang off the easy countries that it's like, and you want to go to these new countries, they become a lot more challenging. It's like, okay, yeah, I want to travel to Africa. Okay, South Africa and Botswana and stuff were quite easy. Now it's like, oh, okay, I'm going to Uganda and Rwanda and the Congo, or I've been to uh, Nigeria multiple times. Like, I mean, like there's some more random countries out there. It's like, yes, I can go to Europe. All right. I did France and England and Scotland and Ireland and all these types of countries when I was a teenager, when I first started traveling. But now going to, you know, former USSR countries, you know, you need to think those things out a little bit more. Yeah. So that's one of the issues with some of these places that are more off the beaten path is typically there's several stops because nobody's doing direct flights to places that you mentioned in Africa or some of the for, former uh, USSR states. And also the prices are, are a lot higher too, because there's not a lot of people going. So it's more prohibitive for somebody who is trying to travel on a budget. In fact, uh, one time we were trying to see the West coast of Africa. We took a trip to Senegal and Cote d'Ivoire, the Ivory coast, and we had to stop in Madrid and we had to stop in Algiers, Algeria, to get there. So that took us a couple of days to do that, uh, but we made the best out of it. Uh, you know, in Madrid, it was my first time there. I'd only been to Barcelona before. In Madrid, oh man, the tapas were amazing. We went out, we landed in the afternoon, we had some tapas, we had some wine, we took a, you know, we went and slept, and then we jumped on a plane and went to Algeria, which was great because this is a total sidebar. I have a lot of layovers in Istanbul. We were filming for the show in Istanbul and we met this young couple that was there from Algeria. And they were talking to us. They were trying to film a video vlog and we're asking our advice. We hung out with them and they invited us to their, their city of Algiers. I happened to have a trip planned because we were going to Africa. 
they picked us up at the airport. We ended up spending a couple of days there. They were our tour guides, invited us into their home, made us a home-cooked Algerian meal, and we filmed the whole thing. And it was great. We made lifelong friends from them, and I still stay in contact with them today. And that was just the layover parts. Then we got to Senegal, but look at all that stuff we had to do just to get there. It wasn't easy. We, we just made the best out of it. You know, but a lot of people, they'd say, oh, man, that took you 36 hours to get there or, or 42 hours to get there. And you have these long layovers. A lot of people don't want to do that. But if you want to see some of these countries that are off the beaten path, that's what you got to do. And we just happened to really hit pay dirt as far as our experiences just getting there. Well, that's amazing. And because a lot of people would not think of Algeria as a top place that they would want to go. I mean, if you ask a thousand hardcore travelers, I bet you Algeria is probably not very close to the top of their list, but you made the most of it. So that's an amazing thing. Yeah. And it has a lot to offer. It's right on the Mediterranean. It's got a lot of Roman ruins that we saw. So, you know, a lot of times we get these pictures of countries in our heads, or sometimes the media will do that for us. And it's not even close to what the reality is. You know, you brought up Iran before, and I was researching going there. In fact, I was looking at taking a trip there with a guided tour in 2020 and then COVID hit. But in my research, I was finding guys that said that, you know, they would walk by a protest near the U.S. embassy and people were angrily protesting things. And they and they stopped him and said, hey, look, we have no problem with you personally. We love Americans. We just don't like the government and, and what they've been doing to our economy. And I thought, I don't think anybody here would do that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, no I thought that was pretty great of the person to, to, you know, pull him aside and do that. He had another story where he was sitting in traffic in a taxi cab and a woman handed him flowers from another car saying, give this to him and apologize for our traffic. Not things that you would expect based on the picture that's painted for us, right? <laughs> Amazing. Iran was one of the best countries I've ever been to. Actually, I had a phenomenal experience there. I was there for just under two weeks. And yes, I went on a tour, but it was a private tour. So we had a driver who spoke Farsi and English. Amazing. And we just went exploring and just drove around the whole north of the country. I was in the south in Tehran as well, but more like uh, Yazd and Isfahan and Shiraz and things in the north. Unbelievable country. Unbelievable. Highly recommend you check it out. Yeah. You know, it came about my friend David and I, a guy I travel with a lot, we joked and we said we should take a death trip and go to North Korea, Iraq and Iran. And it started as a joke. And as I started researching it and started reading about some of those cities you mentioned, I realized you can take guided tours of these places and there's some and they're not as unsafe as people say they are. Now, granted, in Iraq, there's parts you probably want to avoid. But there's a whole expat community in what's called Kurdistan now, you know, the northern part of Iraq. So that's more going to be a reality for us at some point, I think, because the guided tours, they're, they're taking care of you. They're taking you to the good spots. You're safe. And, you know, I get to see something that would probably be one of the better moments of my life, I think. No. Well, we just recently had Alex Bales on the show, and he's actually doing a trip to Iraq coming up. And I'm pretty interested to hear how that's going to go. He's been to, he's actually a really new traveler, but has been to a lot of really random places. Like you and I have been to some random places, but at least we've been doing it for, you know, decades or something like that. So it kind of makes sense for us. I mean, he just started traveling in the last two years and he's gone to like Saudi Arabia and Iran and these types of countries which are really off the beaten path. 
That's the one you just posted that one, didn't you? I think I heard that guy. Yeah, that was amazing. I thought, I mean, man, it took me a while to get there. He just <laughs> dove right in. <laughs> you know, he's like, yeah, I started traveling and I got a taste for it. So I went to Canada and then I went to Egypt. I was like, <laughs> really? Like Egypt was like your second country? Yeah. And then I went to Iran and then I went to Lebanon and then I went to Saudi Arabia. I'm like, holy moly. Like most people, yeah. Like we said before, they go to France and London and Madrid and Lisbon, these types of cities. And he was like jumping right into the deep end. I was like, good for you, man. That's amazing. Oh, that's great. I love it. <laughs> He's going to have some really good adventures coming up. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. All right. So I want to jump into the TV show. Break it down. What is it? What is the concept? How did this come about? When does it air? I want to hear it all. So the, the name of the TV show is called The Layover Experience. And a friend of mine that I travel with was creating a TV show of his own about AI. And guy who ran the station said, uh, you know, we're looking to do a travel show, but we want to do something different. He goes, I, I have just the guy for you. And so my background is business. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to present to this guy. I'm going to create something that's already a niche. I'm going to basically tell him an idea. And I pitched him. I said, look, I think we should call it, the, you know, we should do something around layovers because that's something that no one else is doing on TV, really. And it'll be different. It'll stand out. And, you know, we'll we'll just hit the pavement hard and film our situation and go with it. And he said he loved the concept. We uh, signed on to do six shows. We filmed four out of the six. And then that's uh, right when COVID hit. We, we had our next trip planned. We were going to Saudi Arabia and Oman and a couple other spots. And that trip got canceled. So the show is on hold right now. And we're editing the four episodes that are up. And in the meantime, I'm beginning to post little snippets of them on YouTube. And so I did actually do one of my Istanbul layovers. It's posted on YouTube now under the name uh, Layover Guru. And we're actually editing the Algeria footage that we, we spoke about earlier. That's going to go up next. So you'll see how we met the couple in Istanbul, and then you'll see how it parlays into the tour with them picking us up at the airport in Algeria, which will be cool. And then the other ones we have, you know, we filmed in Georgia, we filmed in Spain, we did do a layover in France, and we filmed our spots in Africa too. So there's going to be some really good stuff coming out soon. Well, I want to see some of the things in Africa because I've never been to Cote d'Ivoire, and that looks like a pretty random place, pretty wild. I remember doing a project on like Togo and stuff like that when I was a child and kind of looking at all the neighboring countries that is around in that area and just being like mesmerized by it, like trying to understand who the people are and what they do and what life would be like there. I just think that that whole part of the world would be so fascinating to see. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, we, we stayed in a lagoon. There were only six huts on this spot and they had a restaurant on site right on the water. And these girls would cook for us, whatever, you know, they worked for the for the place. And I shouldn't even say resort. It was just six little huts and a, a deck that went over the lagoon. And they would just they were cooking lobster and fish that they were catching from the water right there. And we just hung out there, took a dip in the lagoon, took rowboats up and down the, the coastline. And it was one of the better experiences and eating some of the food unique to that region, a very uh, unique spice really hot, but it really added a lot to the seafood there. And I'll tell you what, when we landed, we, <laughs> I, I looked at where the hotel was and it was super close. And we end up trying to communicate in French because they don't speak English there. It's a former French colony, I believe, hence the name. And they put us on this speedboat and they're like, no, 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 you have to take the speedboat across there. And I looked on the map, I go, yeah, that looks about right. The map where the hotel was or where the location was is where the boat picks up. 
So we get on this 25 minute speedboat ride at like 11 o'clock midnight thinking like, where are they taking us? What's going to happen here? And boom, we pull up to this beautiful spot and we're like, okay, good. We're safe. <laughs> you never know. You want to be ready for anything. You know, you never know what's going to happen, but, and it ended up being one of the better stops of the trip. And we, I mean, I, I still think about that food and just take waking up and taking a dip in that lagoon every day. It was so great. Amazing. Amazing. So how does it function with the TV show? Because I think this is a dream of a lot of people. Were you actually paid to go and do this travel? Did they just cover the expenses? Did you have to put up all the money first and then they're going to film? I'm, I'm kind of curious of the logistics of all of this, because as I said, this is probably a dream of a lot of people. Yes. And in fact, so these days it's kind of a hybrid thing where, where the first run, you have to pay for a portion of it. So they cover most of my travel and they bring they uh, cover the travel for my friend to film, essentially is what they do. And then if it goes well, then we renegotiate a better contract to where I will get paid. See, I, I'm going to get paid from advertising, basically, from the show as, as is. So that's it's a it's a upfront risk for me to cover a portion of the trip, which really isn't a risk at all because I get to go see the place, right? Yeah. And then we renegotiate after six episodes, see how it does and decide if we're going to change the concept in any way and move forward that way. So if someone was looking to do this, I would suggest filming content first. I happened to have it dumped in my lap, which was really lucky just because I kind of been doing so many crazy things. People were talking about it to the right person. But I think the best thing to do would be to film some stuff, create a YouTube channel and start pitching it to different TV stations for people that are interested in doing it because there's people looking for good content. But a lot of the travel stuff is the same. You know, it's, it's, oh, here I am in front of the Eiffel Tower. And it's like, okay, great. We've seen that. You know, it's, you have to put some sort of a unique spin on it. There's the one guy who goes looking for for relics. I can't remember the name of that show. And Anthony Bourdain would focus around the food mostly, you know, so there has to be some sort of a niche, I think, for people who are looking to do it themselves. Okay, okay. That makes sense. So it was just the pair of you when you went, he filmed, and then you did the, you were the presenter, I guess. No sound crew, no larger production or anything like that. Low budget, low, low budget. And uh, we we did have like some pretty good microphones and some decent equipment, but the first few episodes of the filming was pretty bad because, you know, my friend had never done it before. And when we came back and- Wow, no experience. They sent him out there with a camera and no experience. Yes, yes, holy yes, holy. yes, yes. Yeah. And so once we talked to the editors, the editors helped us out. They gave us some- stock footage. And they said, look, we need to get to, they told, you know, this told us the importance of getting more B-roll and different things like that. And so the footage got better as we moved on. And so uh, now we can use a lot more of what we filmed than uh, in the later episodes than in the the first episodes. So how did it work? You did all of the trips back to back where you did a trip, filmed it, came back, looked at the footage, edited it, and then several months later went and did the next one? Or how did that look? We filmed two episodes per trip. So what we did, each episode is a layover on the way in, a destination, and then a layover on the way out. So it's three destinations. So it's a few minutes at each layover, and then the bulk is the destination. So we had taken two trips to get four episodes, and we had a third trip planned to get episodes five and six, and that was going to be to the Middle East. Really good trip. I'm really upset we didn't get to go. And that's essentially how we set it up. Well, you'll love the Middle East. I don't know if you've been there yet or not, but I lived over there for eight years and traveled extensively through that region. And it is absolutely fascinating. Like if you're into history and culture and food, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, you know, I've been to Dubai and, and you know, I've been to Abu Dhabi. I've been to some of those areas, Jordan. 
Israel, but I, I, I wanted to go off the beaten path on this trip and that's what we had planned. So one day soon we'll do, we'll replan it and get it going again. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Now let's segue here. I want to hear a little bit about the book break down, like why you felt like this book was necessary to write. You know, I mean, there's many travel books out there, but yours is very unique. It is. And it started as a lot of my friends just said, first, it started with my friends that travel with me. They're like, man, you got this down. This is a system. This is great. This is fun. You should write a book. More people need to know about this. And then as I started, you know, just sharing travel stories with other friends who didn't necessarily come with me, oh, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. And I was sitting on a plane one time and I thought, you know what? I'm going to do this. I got 12 hours. So I started creating an outline on my iPhone. And every time I took a trip, I started populating it. And then it really came to fruition when we had all the lockdowns because I had nothing else to do. So I sat down on the computer every day and would pound out, you know, about a thousand words a day and finally got it done. And the book's been doing really, really well. I've got some online courses where I show people how to, you know, do what I do, how, how to book, because the book has some step-by-steps, but there's people that are more visual. So I think it helps them out a little bit more. But my goal with the book was really just to get more people traveling. And the first chapter breaks it, a lot of the myths that people have about international travel that, oh, it's not for me, it's expensive, it's dangerous, all those things. I bought into those. I was thinking, no, you got to be, you know, have Birkenstocks and a man bun to go do this stuff, you know? <laughs> and um, I really started with like debunking those travel myths and how I actually came to realize that they weren't true. And then I get into some of the tips and tricks of saving money and being safe in, in different countries and it ended up working out really well, and the book's doing really well. It's been a bestseller since day one. Uh, we're at the year anniversary now, just by a few days. So uh, very happy with the results. Amazing. So who is the book for? Is it for only people who are much older and have a lot more money? Is it only for young people? Is it just for digital nomads? What type of people is it for? So I've gotten feedback. It's for beginners and advanced travelers alike. The beginning part of the book is for beginners, and then it gets into more advanced stuff. I've had some feedback from people that are advanced travelers that said, well, I picked up some really good tips. Uh, one example is there's a Charles Schwab checking account you can get, and the ATM card will reimburse you for any ATM fees that you incur along the road, because that can add up to hundreds of dollars if you're you know, traveling to several different cities. So they're like, oh, wow, that's cool. I never knew that. So there's some advanced tips in there for people that are well-traveled. And then there's some stuff in there that's more for beginners. Is it for older or younger people with money? I think it's more so for people without money because it's a lot of ways to save money. But people with money can pick up some of this on some of the safety tips and some of the you know stuff that they don't want to spend money on if they can save. You know, But they're, they're, they're going to still fly business in first class regardless of what you tell them. So... That's fine. <laughs> so with all of these trips and the layovers and all these things that you've done, do you have any like really crazy stories, anything that happened to you, either good or bad in all of this time of traveling? Oh, yeah, there's tons of stories. I mean, there was one instance where we were in Tanzania and Africa and I lost my passport. I have I always keep it in the pocket of my bag. It's a small little pocket in my backpack and it wasn't there. I checked it three times. My friend checked it. We turned my suitcase inside out. It just wasn't there. So we had a flight out that day and thought, how am I going to get out of here? So they took us to some guy high up in the government. I don't know who he was, but the entry gate barrier guy was, you know, a guy in a in military uniform. And he was basically scolding me for losing my passport. Well, why did you lose your passport? And I'm like, well, I didn't do it on purpose. So I can't tell you why. <laughs> 
And I ended up hanging out with him and he was prepping me. He's like, when we go see this guy, you have to do this. Don't say this. So I go up there and, and I'm hanging out with the boss and I get the boss laughing and he ends up really liking me a lot. And it's hilarious because later we go downstairs with the uniformed officer. He goes, man, I don't know how you did that. <laughs> he goes, but here's what we have to do. I had to bribe the guy to get a letter to leave the airport, which is funny because there was a big sign that said no corruption zone. So I had to go to the bank and there's taxi cab driver was awesome. He was hanging out with us the whole time. Had to get a fresh, crisp $100 bill, brought it back. And then we went back up to give it to him. He said, you can't give it to him directly. You have to put it in the paperwork and do all these things. I go, do you want me to come with you? And he looks down at the floor for a second. He goes, yes, bring your tongue. Like bring your tongue because I was good at gabbing with the guy. The guy gives me a letter that allows me to leave the country. And I thought I'll deal with the passport issue. If I can at least get to the States, I'll be fine. Get to the airport, get through security with this letter. My friend goes to the bathroom and I open up my bag and there's my passport in the pocket. And I don't know what happened to this day. We were going to have a layover in Zanzibar and lay out on the beach. And I don't know if you believe in like, hey, things happen as they should. Maybe we weren't supposed to go, but it was not in that pocket. I, I mean, the pocket's this big. It wasn't there. <laughs> My friend checked it too. And then I open it up and it's there when we're sitting there having drinks at the airport. And I don't know what happened, but that's that's how it went down. <laughs> oh my God. Someone borrowed it for a bit, went out, made a copy or something like that, and then returned it before they thought you would notice. Yeah. Holy, Either so that or I'm, I'm just a moron. I'm just, so I'm going to go with the divine intervention. Uh, so I don't look like a moron. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we missed our layover in Zanzibar, which was definitely a, that was a shame. But, you know, whatever. It's a good story. <laughs> Fantastic. Michael, I love today's conversation. Super, super interesting. You've done so many amazing things. If my listeners want to get a hold of you, if they want to find out more about what you do, if they want to check out the YouTube channel or the new TV show that's coming out, where can we send them? Uh, the YouTube channel is Layover Guru. Instagram, you can find you set pictures of my travel there. It's layover underscore guru. And for the book, uh, you can find it on Amazon, but I also have a website called internationaltravelsecrets.com. And uh, that also has a link to my Instagram there. So a lot of different places they can go to check it out. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Michael. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Mikhail. A lot of fun. Thank you. Okay. What a fantastic interview. I hope you guys got a ton of insights from that one. Now, if you guys are expats or digital nomads, or you want to be expats or digital nomads or have an international life, then you need to think about your insurance. There is no question about this. Don't try to be Mr. or Mrs. Invincible and think that nothing will happen to you on the road. I hope that nothing happens to you, but you should be covered nonetheless. And don't be one of those people who think that you're going to use the socialized medicine in your host country. Usually these programs suck, to be honest with you. And really, the point of being an expat is not to be a burden on some other country. Really, you want to be taking care of yourself. Personal responsibility. Remember, guys. Okay, so... To find out more about this company, all you need to do is go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance. They have a ton of different options. They're really changing the landscape of insurance, and I'm really stoked to be working with them. So go to expatmoneyshow.com forward slash insurance. You guys can get a quote. You can find out more about what they cover, what they don't cover, how to get involved, which countries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can learn more at expatmoneyshow.com. And that's it. Have an amazing week, and I will see you next Wednesday on the podcast. Ciao. 
This episode may be over, but your journey to greatness continues by visiting our webpage and signing up for our newsletter. For convenient access to new episodes, show notes, and other crucial resources, visit expatmoneyshow.com. We look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the Expat Money Show. Safe travels. I have managed to secure exclusive rights to a block of villas in one of the hottest up-and-coming regions in my current home country, Panama. Join me Saturday, May 4th at 10 a.m. Central, 11 a.m. Eastern Time for our special presentation called Investors Workshop, capitalizing on the globally recognized resort brand coming to Panama. We will discuss how the tourism landscape in this region will change rapidly upon the public announcement of this project and how I have secured the rights for my clients to capitalize on this opportunity before anyone else. Thanks to my connections in the region, I have negotiated pricing that front runs everyone else. Think early, early bird pricing. From gourmet restaurants to vibrant clubs, poolside activities, and even live bands, this resort is going to pump some serious life into the region. But this isn't what excites me or what should excite you either. The exciting part is that these world-class amenities and top brand will attract tens of thousands of tourists. Tourists who will fork over top dollar to stay at our investment properties. Register free at expatmoney.com forward slash webinars. That's expatmoney.com forward slash webinars to register for this free real estate workshop. See you on May 4th at 10 a.m. Central Time. That's 11 a.m. Eastern time, go to expatmoney.com forward slash webinar.